Hello friends, welcome to Beyond the News. I'm your host Jim Grant. Whether you're listening to us on Bexhill Online or catching one of our repeated downloads on Spotify, welcome. I'm recording this on Friday the 18th of December. A happy birthday to one of our regular audience members. You know who you are. Coming up on today's show, lots of weird science. Going to be taking a break from all the usual Covid stuff. There'll be a bit of that with the constant erosion of our civil liberties being taken away on dubious science. Of course, what else would you expect on this show? But we're going to be looking at a few other things um, like a new gravitational superhighway just discovered in the solar system. Millions were in germ war tests in the UK. I mentioned the United Nations Weather Weapons Treaty. I believe it was 1976. You can go to the United Nations own website on previous shows. Well, turns out that only recently, uh, this week in fact, there was articles about weather modification. So I thought, hey, why not look into that a little bit more from a variety of angles? The usual stuff about our hospitals really cracking under the strain of covid uh, we shall see, according to the Daily Mail, a hospital worker uh, with no prior allergies. We've covered how prior allergies, I think, went down last week. Uh, well, a couple of them did. Uh, someone without any allergies went down after the new vaccine this time. And a judge has stood up for people's free speech, i.e. the right to defend. And a lot more on this week's Beyond the News. Let's get into our first uh, first article. This goes back 18 years. One out of the, uh, well, not even, it was the archive of archives. Uh, back in my original Beyond the News days, almost 10 years ago now, this was an article I had in, uh, <laughs> in the, the file labeled 10 year old articles back then. So this is almost 20 years now, but I think it's important that people know what kind of things have happened. Um, Millions were in germ war tests. This is by Anthony Barrett, Sunday the 21st of April 2002. The Ministry of Defence turned large parts of the country into giant laboratory to conduct a series of secret germ warfare tests on the public. And you'll have to go behind the, uh, the, the wall that the Guardian has to read more about that. But I just wanted you to know that there is a history of government doing experimentation on the public without their consent on a big big country-wide scale just wanted to make you aware of that in these current times i do like to bring up the occasional article from the archives just to see that sometimes what our governments have been capable of over the years and people say well that was 18 months ago 18 years ago that was under a different prime minister you'll find well sometimes it doesn't really make that much of a difference in terms of who's supposedly prime minister and supposedly running the country to what certain agendas seem to be cropping up history sometimes repeats and sometimes it rhymes regardless of who is supposedly in charge of the wheel next article tuesday the 15th of december of this year so from 18 years ago to three days ago now do you remember I mentioned on previous podcasts, I can't remember which one it is, I don't keep track of all those things, that th there are such things as weather modification programs. And if you say that to someone, they look like you've just, you know, um, you've just told them you're a space alien from Mars, take me to your leader kind of look on their face. Of course, that stuff doesn't exist. That's all in science fiction and all that kind of stuff. When actually, I've been on this planet for over 40 years now, and the 
treaty on weather weapons and weather modification techniques that was passed at the UN was um, brought about before I was born. So this is this isn't science fiction. This is history, quite old history. Well, you know, depends. You know, everything's subjective. The word old, I suppose. But anyway, let's carry on. China is scaling up its weather modification program. Here's why we should be worried. Awa Mahadawi. Beijing is aiming to control rain and snow across half the country, but it is the reason it wants to do this that is really frightening. Remember when Donald Trump wanted to nuke hurricanes so they didn't hit the US? Everyone laughed uproariously, but Trump's warped little mind was actually onto something. You may not be able to bomb hurricanes into oblivion, but you can shoot things into the atmosphere in order to change the weather. By the way, I wouldn't exactly call that objective journalism, would you? Calling Trump's mind a warped little mind? I don't think that's... <laughs> anyway, but, uh, you know, neither, neither, I would say that even if if you know, there was an article that said the wondrous human being, the wondrous president that is Donald Trump. I'm not really into that kind of language in my reporting. I'd like to, do you know what I mean? Stick to the facts and I'll make my subjective opinions on people myself. Thank you. It's a process known as cloud seeding. Uh, did I miss a sentence? You may not be able to bomb hurricanes into oblivion, but you can shoot things into the atmosphere in order to change the weather. It's a process known as cloud seeding, and a number of countries, including the UK and the US, have been experimenting with it for decades. Now, it's interesting that if you try and say, you know, over those last decades that, you know, you think you've spotted some cloud seeding, then people go, oh, you and your conspiracy theories, but this stuff has been going on for quite some time. And like the Guardian reports here only three days ago, uh, including the UK and US, have been experimenting with it for decades. Now, it doesn't say that they're using it in their own uh, atmospheres, does it? Perhaps they're China's, uh, sorry, perhaps England has bought some, uh, or Britain, has, or the UK, as the Guardian describes, has got somewhere else for us to test it on, but doesn't say that. So I'm going to assume it, it means testing it in this country. There hasn't been a huge amount of mainstream attention paid to cloud seeding or other forms of geoengineering, but now it is time to sit up and take notice. China has maf massively ramped up its efforts to control the weather, a move that should alarm us all. Between 2012 and 2017, China reportedly spent more than 1.3 billion, that's one, uh, $1 billion dollars and 1 billion pounds, tackling water shortages by wrestling control of the elements. But what is plans to do now is on a completely different scale. Early this month, China's State Council announced that by 2025, its weather modification program will cover around half the country. It is aiming to control rain and snow across an area that is more than one and a half times the size of India or 20 times the size of the UK. In other words, a bloody huge area. Uh, their words, not mine. How successful China will be at making it rain and snow is debatable. Earlier that this year, a study funded by the US National Science Foundation found that cloud seeding can boost snowfall across a wide area if the atmospheric conditions are favourable. This is one of the first studies to show that cloud seeding works. However, the current technology is not exactly simple or cost effective. We can't just turn the rain on and off with the flick of a switch, nice as that would be. 
but how successful China will be is almost beside the point. What is really terrifying is why it is scaling up its weather modification program. It is not just posturing, although that certainly plays into it, it is also desperation. The climate crisis isn't around the corner, it is here. Water shortages now affect more than 3 billion people around the world. Uh, so you can go on and read that article for yourself. I've just got a couple of uh, notes to make. Again, it's up to you how far you want to go down the rabbit hole. But I don't believe it's just China. I think you can look at a number of countries that are doing this around the world. I seem to remember something about the Saudis making it snow in a desert. I think I'm just going from memory there. The real one is the Weather Modifications Treaty. I think that's something that's everyone should uh, read into. And also you've got various reasons why there are water shortages as well. Um, uh, not just um, I'm not in the whole uh, you know the climate change thing climate's always changed and yeah, that's why we've had an ice age and everything but uh, I'm skeptical as to uh, the extent that man plays a part in it not to confuse that with pollution of course I don't want to see uh, polluting stuff into the atmosphere and everything but actual uh, a global warming thing um, uh, I'm not really into that I think we move our atmosphere I think there are more factors that influence the climate than humans uh, namely the sun how closely we are to its solar minimums maximums summer winter all that kind of stuff but uh, i'm just giving you that my opinion on that but you've also got um, private interests i think it was nestle i believe i'm go again going from memory here that said they don't believe human and um, water is a human right so and then you can look at what corporations have done all over california it's up to you to do your own research fracking of course takes a lot of water out of our uh, potential water um, drinking options I believe once it's fracked it's no good for well I don't know I'm no expert on it but I, I really don't think it's a good thing I've seen lots of footage of was it flammable water or inflammable water St water that burns <laughs> because of the high gas content in it that can't be good uh, after fracking so there um yes I do believe that there is um shortages on water in parts of the world but there are more than one explanation to it life is just isn't really black and white and certainly paying carbon taxes to corporations and Al Gore wouldn't be my number one way of dealing with it but side issue um, just really wanted my listeners to know that weather modification technology does exist and has existed for quite some time and it's up to you. Where uh, give you some idea of where to go down the rabbit hole on that. It's up to you if you want to do that. Another article here from Bloomberg, yesterday, seventeenth of December, by Adam Minter. Has China mastered weather modification? Should we worry? Using rockets and pickup trucks, Chinese officials are seeding clouds and bringing the rain. But do they have other uses in mind? So that's it from another um, point of view from Bloomberg just to say that you know such crazy things are being picked up from a variety of sources back to the usual stuff here this is from the mail online so expect the advert to load up just as I'm reading the article this is from the 18th of December today by Sam Blanchard senior health reporter for mail online and Connor Boyd are hospitals really creaking under the strain of COVID before Christmas NHS data shows trusts are still quieter than last December when seven times fewer wards closed to being full. Sorry, yeah, with seven times fewer wards close to being full. 
average intensive care ward occupancy down to 75% from 84% from the same time last year. 15,465 people in hospital with COVID in England on Wednesday, compared to 18,974 on the worst day in spring. But statistics suggest the health service is overall coping better with its workload than it did last winter. So, again, any new listeners out there, I do believe there is a nasty virus going around, COVID. I don't think it mutated naturally. But I also think a lot of other things are being dumped into those COVID numbers, um, not least of which an article we covered up on last... Uh, <laughs> Freudian slip there. We covered on last week's show about 90%. F- flu's disappeared by about 90% now, hasn't it? So I do believe those numbers are being rolled into it. I think it's a mixture of both. I think there's something nasty out there. And I think, um, you know, people... like. Anything flu-like now, it's COVID, isn't it? So, you know, what other explanation for it is there than to see a 90% drop in the flu, the normal flu? And, you, you know, the hospitals are what, down 84 to 75. So, regardless of how you think this is being done or what this virus is or where it comes from, I think we need to rally around the fact that we don't want the cure to be worse than the virus. And the cure, of course, is the lockdown, which costs so many lives in mis- um, late cancer diagnoses, uh, suicides, unemployment due to businesses, um, complete and utter systemic destruction of businesses that have established for years, and all that goes with that. Uh, the poverty... Uh, potential homelessness, um, spikes in suicide rates that could result from that alone. So worth remembering all of that. Um, And it still does have a 99 point something survival rate. So I think it's time for us all to come together and say, whether you agree with um, people's analysis of this virus, I think we can go and say, I think it's time to go down the Swedish route. And I know that Sweden has since gone into lockdown, but there's a many. You can go and look at Sean Collins' documentary uh, about, was, I think it's called Another Way. I think it's time to say the cure is worse than the virus. And um, yeah, if the uh, people are saying we need to do this to protect the NHS, well, it's down from 84 to 75%. So let's put the you know, try and put that genie back in the bottle in terms of as stop the rot of as many businesses going under as possible and let's try and get back to some semblance of normality. And anyone that says, you can't put money before health, you're living in a very black and white world where you've bought into a propaganda. Yes, I do think that um, having less contact stops the spread of this virus. But at the end of the day, if you've got a 99.9% or 99, let's call it that for argument's sake, survival rate and the NHS isn't overwhelmed, let's go back to dealing with aches, shivers, sniffles and I'm afraid, yep, old people have always died of the normal flu. It's terrible, it's awful for the families but um, so is mass unemployment and the lack of self-esteem that can be given to someone as a result of 
them seeing everything they've ever worked for destroyed in front of their eyes at the arbitrary call of a prime minister's telephone phone um, done closing down we can't survive doesn't matter can't, can't have someone catching a flu in the shiver because you know old people might die from it or other people might die from it well it doesn't matter that it's happened throughout all of human history we're now going to change everything reset everything and as uh, Klaus would say no I don't think that's the way to go I don't think it's a good idea moving on the Telegraph by Camilla Tomini, Associate Editor, 17th of December. Exclusive. People must have the right to offend without facing a police investigation. The judgment could have far-reaching implications for officers seeking to bring charges over people's opinions. Two judges have struck a blow to enemies of free speech after ruling people should have the right to offend and even abuse each other without facing a police investigation. Hear, hear. Crikey, if that's, uh, you know... Police investigations over people's being offended. Jeez, I mean, wonder what would have happened to the comedy industry if those walls were around for the last 30 years. So it's important to distinguish that just because you are defending someone's right to express an opinion does not mean that you are agreeing with that opinion. It seems to be a very polarised, or was it in Revenge of the Sith? Only a Sith deals in absolutes. That phrase springs to mind. It's possible to say, I defend someone's right to say that, and I disagree with every word they've said. I think it shows emotional maturity to be able to do that. I think it shows emotional immaturity to say, I would rather ban people's opinions than control my own emotional state. I would rather exercise control over what people can say than control over my own emotions. I think it's um, unhealthy for society. I also think it's unhealthy for the individual. If you, if you stand for what you believe in, even if you stand alone, and if your opinions are your own, that you've come about as a result of your own research, then present that research and defend that opinion. If you want. Or alternatively, you could just not listen to them that person's going on saying something that offends me i'm not going to give them the time of day i'm not interested so i think everyone has the right to their own opinion and i have every right to not care about that opinion you know i moderate a few facebook pages and stuff and um sometimes if someone's just kicking off and making the whole place really unpleasant then yeah kick them off the page but what i don't do is ever call for them to be banned off of any social media. I just block them off of mine. So in, in the equivalent of, you know, if you're running a pub, you're just kicking them out of your pub. You're not calling them to be arrested a night in the sales, cells. You're not asking for their freedom to be taken away. You're just kicking them out of your pub. And if uh, anyone else wants to let them in, that's their business. That's how I think it should be online. Now, there, there are obvious things where um, you've already got laws in place where if someone is going to be calling for a crime, and for example, if someone says, you know, we should go and do harm to this person or this business, for, for whatever reason, you know, but 
if it's something like you know we're going to do harm to this person because of their color of their skin or their religion that, that that's wrong and inexcusable but there are already laws that exist that to deal with that you don't need to go clamping down on uh, free speech and remember that it is always unpopular opinions that need the right to expression because no one ever really needs to defend the popular ones because they're popular so i just wanted to make that um i think that was a good good ruling it's the telegraph so not able to read that much more about that but yeah i think if you go and look at um societies that have not defended free speech and invariably that is what what's the old saying go and look at who's it truly in power and they're the ones you can't criticize and if you live in a truly free country then you can criticize whoever you want can't you so that's something to think about and perhaps something to ask ourselves is over the last 10 20 years has the right to free speech coincided sorry the right to free speech diminishing be has that mirrored our society do we feel like we have become freer over the last 20 years do we feel that we have become more empowered or do we feel that the state has become more empowered and the corporations have become more empowered you'll find these things usually go hand in hand um, throughout history books of course the technology changes and the regime changes and all that kind of stuff but you know the history books are full of this stuff I've just managed to delete the next article without even clicking on the mouse properly that's the first even for me I don't even know how I did that right our next article here from 11th of December Jan Moore what have we become when the NHS is sending out death squads to our elders hmm well that's quite a statement we've spent so much time applauding the NHS this year that we have perhaps forgotten it's not all milk and honey in the land of Cohen and morphine no I'm just checking this thing's recording properly yeah we're good morphine the fact that NHS death squads are patrolling our streets knocking on doors without invitation and assessing on the basis of one conversation with a senior citizen who might understandably be confused whether or not they should have a do not attempt to resuscitate order DNAR displayed in their home is appalling the thought of this happening to my mother and other elderly relatives shakes me to the core as I'm sure it does you yeah death squads is a bit you know I've read a history book of uh, some of the things that happened on in South America now they're death squads I wouldn't call this death squads I'm totally against all of this and it flies in the face of we're all doing the lockdown to save people aren't we we care about the old people but yeah don't put it in do not resuscitate order on them do that and we've covered this on the show before but so a little bit of a sensational headline in my opinion but of course it is just my opinion and someone is perfectly entitled to say i think they are death squads jim just as someone is entitled to say i don't think that's even remotely comparable but that's what free speech is all about when you get debate you see we've all as a society especially in britain over the last 20 years i've seen it we all seem to think that don't i don't upset the apple cart don't argue don't debate if you don't have these certain opinions this certain set of opinions then you're wrong um 
trust the science, all that kind of stuff. Well, you've got to remember there are different types of science. There are scientists and doctors that will be telling you a message on a mainstream media channel that is funded by adverts, which are funded by corporate interests in banks and pharmaceutical companies. And then you'll have another set of scientists that aren't funded by those, uh, that aren't put on a platform f uh, who rely on those advertisers for their main source of revenue. So there are different types of scientists, there are different types of doctors, different types of opinions that those people hold. And it's only when the two cross-reference each other in a level playing field do we, the layman, really get a chance to see who's full of Bravo Sierra and whose scientific studies uh, are backed up by results and conclusions that we can follow through without any number fudging. So, continuing. As it happens, my mother already has a DNAR on her doctor's file, but it was her sentient choice placed there after discussions with all of her children in a moment of calm so that everyone understood what was going on and what was going to happen should the very worst happen. That's as it ought to be, for surely this is a decision that has to be made by the individual, not something he or she should be bullied into a f by a faceless employee of the state. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to agree with all of that statement. Just headline for me is a little bit sensational. But you go and read it for yourself. All the articles are on the Beyond the News Facebook page. That's the same on Parler as well. Only Beyond the News doesn't have spaces on the Parler page. That's how you find us. And you'll be able to see them uh, for yourself there. And also when I do the podcast things and post that on the social media pages, I usually put them all in one block um, for easy reference. New gravitational superhighway is discovered in the solar system that could make interplanetary space flights much faster than was previously thought possible. Researchers gathered data on millions of gravitational interactions and orbits. This allowed them to understand the superhighway between the gas giants. The superhighway allows asteroids to travel at far faster speeds than otherwise. This is an article from 10th of December by Ryan Morrison for the Mail Online. Researchers from the University of California, San Diego, looked into the orbits of millions of bodies in our solar system and computed how they fit together and interact. The highway allows objects to move through space much faster than previously thought possible, for example, travelling between Jupiter and Neptune in under a decade. One day, NASA or other space agencies could make use of those superhighways. <laughs> to speed up time, speed up travel time. Uh, so, I'm so, so in the science fiction genre, I almost put those two words around the other way, didn't I? Time travel. So speed up travel time from Earth to distant parts of the solar system, but the team can't yet say how it would work or how much faster journeys would become. That pretty much sounds like any person working in any southern railway station to me. Uh, no idea when the next train's arriving, or how long it will take to get to its next destination. Well, at least that was when I last used Southern Rail, which is probably about a year ago now. Our next article from The Guardian. Dennis Campbell, 11th of December, so last Friday. Dozens of GP practices in England opt out of COVID vaccine rollout. And again, people should have the right to their opinions, and people should 
you know they should be proud of their opinions and those doctors could say I'm one of the ones opting out and if people want to leave and go to another one because they're opting out do it and likewise if people go well, I agree with that doctor good for him that's the sort of doctor I want let them opt in that's but again it was all done on postcode isn't it you only have you know limited options but I'm talking more in a hypothetical theoretical sense there exclusive more than 100,000 patients will have to get jab elsewhere as GPs say they lack capacity to take part more than 100,000 patients will not be able to get the COVID vaccine from their family doctor after the GP surgeries decided not to take part in its deployment the Guardian can reveal dozens of GP practices in England have chosen not to join the NHS's coronavirus vaccination program amid concerns their workloads are already too heavy they have too few staff and that patients could suffer if practices have to cut back from other services so doctors can administer the injections. You can read about that more for yourself, of course. I wonder if that was their only concern. And by the way, I, I think those concerns are very uh, real. You know, it's not like these people haven't got their normal workloads to be dealing with, probably more so catching up with the lockdown backload. So I totally understand those points of views. I wonder if perhaps there was another point of view that some of them may be going down that road. And that is, of course, concerns about long-term potential side effect. The stuff that we covered on last week's show that they said in the government's own documents. So there you go. There's no conspiracy theories here. Go and listen to last week's show if uh, I read out on air the actual regulator uh, document that from the government's own website. Yeah, there was enough in there to make me go, oh, not that I was considering it anyway. Our next article from here is, uh, was going to be the Washington Post, but uh, it's not allowing me to read it because it's all behind the paywall, that one. Something, uh, I can't remember now. See if I can get it from the URL. Uh, no, that's not helpful. Uh, oh, something about a polio vaccine paralyzing children. I would have liked to have read that all out so we can have the context. But uh, again, if you can see the link for yourself and if you're a subscriber to the Washington Post, you can read it all about it and perhaps send me the gist of it at beyondthenews at protonmail.com. Quarantine rules to be relaxed for business travellers. This is the 3rd of December. We're all in together, remember? Quarantine rules are set to be eased for business travellers in England. The rules will be relaxed for top bosses of foreign multinational firms visiting English branches and bosses at firms planning to invest. In other words, if you've got money, the lockdown don't apply to you. I mean, I'm making a real sweeping layman's statement there, and I'm certain there are people that could pick holes in it, but I think you get the general gist. Returning executives will also be exempt from quarantine. That's nice. In each case, the business trips must result in a deal which creates or preserves 50 jobs or leads to 100 million investment or order, according to the Department for Transport. I'm all about keeping jobs and 100 million investments. I just think if you lifted the quarantine for everyone, let them take their own chances and perhaps protected the vulnerable, then we could all be treated as equal and we could all create investment and maybe preserve like one job. If you had 50 small businesses that could all be saved from preventing a lockdown and they could all save one person, then that would lead to 50 jobs. 
just spread over a wider group of people and that wouldn't be 50 people worried about where their next bill payments are coming from. But just a thought, if you want true equality. The new rule will allow business people to travel to England from countries that they are not on the UK's list of travel corridors without having to isolate for 14 days on arrival. The move was announced in a tweet by Transport Secretary Grant Shapps. So there you go. All in it together then, friends. Oh, and we were talking about weird science. I brought this one into the show here today. Didn't want to make it all COVID stuff. This is two days old, this article, and it is from The Independent. Komodo dragon seriously wounds worker building Jurassic Park resort in Indonesia. Giant lizard tore several parts off his body, security chief says. This is obviously not a light-hearted article, but um, in today's science fictiony sort of broadcast, I thought, why not throw this one in? A construction worker has been seriously wounded. I'm not surprised if he's had several limbs torn off. I'm amazed he's still alive. After he was attacked by a Komodo dragon, I think I've seen documentaries, those things can be absolutely vicious, while m helping to build a 4.8 million resort, apparently inspired by the movie Jurassic Park. See, it'd be quite funny if he got a little nip round the ankle, wouldn't it? But because he's had a, several limbs torn off, it's not really, not really funny, is it? Elias... Agus, 46, was rushed to hospital by speedboat from Rinka Island, Indonesia, after one of the giant lizards had torn several parts of his body. Media in... Uh, oh, I didn't say torn off, so that's good. Hopefully he's still got them. Media Indonesia quoted the island's head of security as saying, Upon receiving this information, fellow rangers were at the location immediately and managed to evacuate the victim. Oh, good for them. That, that's, that's impressive, isn't it? The planned resort on Rinku Island, which is home to thousands of Komodo dragons, has already sparked concern among conservationists who fear it will only harm the lizards, which are classified as vulnerable to extinction by experts. It was dubbed Jurassic Park after architects shared a video of the planned attraction, which will allow tourists to get up close with Komodos alongside the iconic theme tune from the 1993 dinosaur movie. What could possibly go wrong? Keep your eye on that. I've, I think in Beyond the News broadcasts to come, there'll be uh, an article where someone's, uh, we read out the show that someone's had an arm torn off by one of those things. But there you go. People have the right to make their own informed risks. But I think it might be worth uh, any potential visitors to that park reading that article before they go. And if they're, oh, cute little dragon. No, they ain't. The Pentagon. Apparently troops won't be required to take coronavirus vaccine. Good for them. It's all about personal choice. If you want to take it, take it. If you don't, you don't. I'm all about personal choice here, personal responsibility. That's what Beyond the News is about. Uh, and that responsibility is, of course, doing your own research on whether you want to make, well, do your own research in order to make your own decisions about anything, but especially about this vaccine. I think it's uh, one of the big things of our, our time. So this is uh, US news. Members of the military won't be required to take a coronavirus vaccine when it comes available through a new trial plan, the Pentagon announced Wednesday. But that could change if the Food and Drug Administration moves beyond the emergency approval that currently allows for the initial distribution of the vaccine. Voluntary for everyone, Army Lieutenant General Ro Ronald Place, Chief of the Defence Health Agency, told reporters at a press conference at the Pentagon, no IFS, 
and or buts about it. Oh no, sorry. <laughs> no ifs and or buts about it. I'm so used to reading out all these government agencies, CIA, Army, LT, of course, Lieutenant, all things like that. Sometimes, as Freud said, a cigar is just a cigar, and IFS stands for ifs. Voluntary for everyone. So that's good. Public scepticism in a vaccine to treat the coronavirus has persistently has persisted throughout the spread of the pandemic, though a two-thirds majority of Americans now say they would take the vaccine, up from only a half in September, according to a poll conducted by Pew Research Centre released last week. The safety profile is very good. The risk of these vaccines from what we know is much less than the risk from the actual disease process, Place said. Um, we'll see on that one, won't we? But as we've said before, everyone is entitled to their opinion. And it really makes no difference whether I agree with it or not, nor should it, because we're all equal, right? You know, but while we're all equal, you want to listen to different types of experts. They're usually less equal than others when it comes to other such things. I'm rambling now, as I've just realized there's another Washington Post article. I really should try and make a mental note that these things won't uh, load behind any of that and even if I did subscribe I wouldn't be sure if I would be allowed to read such things out because they're um, I don't know copyright issues I try and keep things here as uh, as above board as possible and low tech as possible less can go wrong and uh, I don't know any other way this is from Monday the 14th of December how the British government is trying to crush our right to protest by Gracie May Bradley yeah this doesn't end well for any regimes that tried to crush protest, they don't usually get away with it. I mean, the communist Chinese have managed to get away with it. Um, probably Cuba's still gone down that road, hasn't it? Excuse me, I'll take a sip of water there. But yeah, this... Generally, most governments that try and crush the right to peaceful protest, it don't go too well. They usually have to more or less do away with the election process because people just don't really want that. They don't want to live under totalitarian and authoritarianism. I know as much of a shock that is. Well, also probably a shock that I've managed to pronounce those words without screwing them up. But yeah, though totalitarianism in terms of police force and your options at the election booth being, shall we say, narrowed or how what would be the not valued as much what was it is i think it was stalin that said i don't care how many votes are counted i only care who counts the votes something along those lines i'm just saying that look for this in the history books whenever you see authoritarian government regimes clamping down on people's rights to peaceful protest you usually see um, them having their other rights being clamped down on free speech, journalism um, rights to pick anyone else other than them in an election or the ability for that vote to count for anyone else so again just a little glimpse into the future via a history book from a variety of regimes that are around the world most of which do go down eventually so continuing the article, not content with ambitions to limit judicial review, 
update, that is, weaken the Human Rights Act and pass laws that would insulate various agents of state from accountability for human rights violations, the government is now, according to press reports last week, planning to introduce a new law that will limit our right to protest. Wonderful. For a government that claims to be concerned about free speech and cancel culture, cracking down on protest isn't a great look. Without the text of the proposals, we don't know for certain how far it will go. That fills you with confidence, doesn't it? I'm sure Boris Johnson's government will really care about the people and only take away their rights to protest when it's all in the public safety, of course. Without the text of the proposals, we don't know for certain how far it will go. Well, they've always seemed to be so moderate in the past, haven't they? Reports suggest it will limit the physical locations, such as near Parliament or newspaper distribution plants, in which protest is allowed to take place. <coughs> so for protest, you can actually... If you're talking peaceful protest, you're talking free speech, aren't you? What happens if you're a protester of one? What happens if you're not swearing or saying anything that is libelous or... You know, it's just it's just the truth, and you're holding up a sign. You're not getting anyone else's way. You're not obstructing anyone else. There's no profanity. You know, you're six even in COVID times. You're six meters away from anyone else, and you're just expressing an, an opinion. Does that now become a protest? Because if so, you can essentially means that you're now no longer have, allowed to have certain opinions or express them around physical locations such as Parliament or newspaper distribution plants. I want you to think not just in terms of what's being told to you, but what it could be capable of being used for. Our next article here tonight... Hey, it's not from the Washington Post. Excellent. I, I, I like this next article coming up here tonight. This one really puts a, a smile on my face. And it is from CBS, and it reads, How a 14-year-old became the youngest restaurant owner in Georgia. I love this. This is from yesterday, and like I said, CBS News, December the 17th, by Christopher A. Daniel. Stonecrest, Georgia. Mason Wright was nine years old walking through Times Square in 2015 with his older sister when he noticed long lines wrapped around several hot dog carts. If he could reinvent the idea back home in the South, he said he'd never have to beg his parents for an allowance again. I knew I could take the business concept and improve it, said Mason, who is now 14 years old, and the owner of Mason's Superdogs, his grab-and-go hot dog restaurant in Stonecrest, Georgia. He opened the shop in October, making him the youngest restaurant owner in the state. I love that. Entrepreneurialism at an early age figuring it out, having the will to do it, and it's paid off for him. Here's to you, uh, Mason Wright. Good for you, son. I'm toasting with water, but I hope that doesn't bring him bad luck. Mason's vision has transformed from carts to a 200-square-foot corner restaurant serving over 400 customised hot dogs and vegan dogs with fresh toppings each day. Take the Firestorm, for example, a chopped chicken dog, with buffalo sauce or the Professor Dilly, which is served inside a jumbo-sized pickle. Petter recognised Mason's vegan dogs as some of the best in the country. I'm usually doing most of the work, but we're having fun doing it, Mason said. 
My customers are really friendly and nice. The reviews online are great, but the hardest part of running the business is being patient and waiting for customers to stop by. When they do, I get a really big smile on my face. Mason and another full-time employee prepare the food and manage the kitchen during regular business hours. His sister, mother and aunt help operate the point of sale system and hand out orders to the customers. Business has been great because the community has come out, shown how supportive they are, buying multiple hot dogs at a time and being really patient with us as we open the restaurant. That's nice. I think worldwide we're starting to value small businesses a little bit more having had decades of the corporate system where you know if you if you wanted to go to certain corporate places that sell food and say oh, sorry I really didn't like this hot dog and just be given an email form from someone behind the till who really doesn't care either way and why should they they don't feel their boss cares about them and they're probably right they certainly they get paid by the hour not by the customer satisfaction i think small businesses as i was trying to say earlier it's not about greed it's not about money i mean that might be what entices people to begin with but it's about i've said this before learning those different skill sets and learning that self-control and learning to become a part of your community learning i think it's good for the self-esteem people know oh you're that guy you're the builder you're the plumber and all of their communities have their different things like that but you have a place in it and when you feel that you have a place in a community you're part of that community and that can lead to tremendous psychological effects in my humble um, non-educated non-qualified opinion although I do have an A level in psychology but I wouldn't really say that uh, cuts the mustard oh Hot dog vendor, remember? Right. <laughs> vendor. Right, our next article here. But anyway, that's a nice story. I like that one. And um, here's another one I kind of like, but uh, I don't really think it ended that well. Um, well. I don't know. Make up for yourself. It's uh, This has got Hollywood movie written all over it. I mean, this is just... I, I'd be amazed if there weren't Hollywood people just snapping up the rights to this story left, right and centre. It's got everything uh, i'll make that prediction on beyond the news now on the 18th of december 2020 this is going to be a film mm. from the daily mail mexico's real life taken how fearless mother used disguises and fake ids in five-year mission to take down 10 cartel members who killed her daughter before being shot dead outside her home karen alejandra salinas rodriguez was captured by members of Los Zeta cartel in San Fernando, Mexico in 2012. Her remains were later found on an abandoned ranch in 2014. Her mother, Miriam Rodriguez, embarked on a years-long mission to find her captors using disguises and fake ID. Her tireless pursuit ultimately resulted in the takedown of 10 criminals involved in one of Mexico's most dangerous and violent drug cartels. Rodriguez was later killed in 2017 after she was shot 12 times outside her home and the, this article is from the 15th of december a mother whose daughter was kidnapped and murdered by a mexican drug cartel spent years stalking and hunting down her child's captors in a dangerous and ultimately fatal mission mirroring the plot of 2008 film taken 
Did that guy die at the end? I think he lived at the end, didn't he? Well, it's a long time since I've seen that film. Miriam Elizabeth Rodriguez Martinez of Sanando, San Fernando, Tama. Yeah. Um, her tireless pursuit resulted in the takedown of at least 10 criminals before she was murdered herself outside her home in 2017. Karen Twenty was abducted by the northeastern Mexican city on, oh, in the northeastern Mexican city on January 23rd, 2012, after a group of armed men from the Los Zeta cartel forced their way into her car and took her off with her inside. Her captors later demanded thousands of dollars in ransom payments in exchange for her return, but despite the family's compliance, Karen was murdered and her remains were found on an abandoned ranch in 2014. In the, following, in the years following Karen's abduction and subsequent death, Miriam took matters into her own hands, going to extreme lengths to pursue her daughter's killers across the country and even on the other side of the border in Texas. Using various disguises, a fake handgun and false ID, the mother managed to locate and interrogate several members of the Los Zetas cartel, one of the most dangerous and violent in the country. Among her targets was a young florist who she had been chasing for a year. Florist, yeah and tracking down online after learning the man had sold flowers on the street before joining the cartel, the New York Times reported. After receiving a call from a tipster about his whereabouts, Miriam, armed with a gun, located the man among a group of vendors near the Mexican-US border selling sunglasses. The man recognised her and ran, but the 56-year-old managed to catch up to him and tackle him. If you move, I'll shoot you, she told him, while holding up a gun. She detained him for nearly an hour until authorities arrived to arrest him, according to the paper. Miriam was responsible for taking down at least 10 criminals during her unrelenting pursuit, a feat even local authorities would consider extremely daunting. Her investigation led to the arrest of several men involved in the cartel, including Christian Jose Zapata Gonzalez, who was only 18 at the time. At one point, she even sat down with one of the men who insisted the cartel did not have her daughter, yet offered to help locate her for $2,000. As she pleaded with him for Karen's release, she heard someone on his radio call him by name, Sama. With a new lead, Miriam scoured social media for hours where she ultimately found a tagged photo of Sama next to a woman wearing a uniform for an ice cream shop in Coeda, Victoria, two hours away. She then stalked the store for weeks, learning the woman's schedule and waiting for Sama to show up. When he arrived, she followed the pair to their home, taking note of their address. Following she'd be, fearing she would be recognised, Miriam dyed her hair red and wore a uniform she had kept from her old job at the health ministry, which she used to go around conducting a fake poll of the neighbourhood to obtain further details of her target. Wow. This is, um, this is like Jason Bourne and Sherlock Holmes wrapped into one with this woman. I admire, admire her uh, integrity and uh, intelligence and tactics. She eventually found a police officer willing to join her in her mission, but by the time an arrest warrant was issued, Sama had left town. It wasn't until September 2014 that Miriam's son Louis, who had a shop in Coeur de Victoria, spotted Sama at his store looking at hats. The police were called and arrested Sama, who eventually coughed up details surrounding Karen's murder, including the names and locations of his accomplices. Miriam's efforts to avenge her daughter's death eventually led to her own demise. However, she was killed on Mother's Day in 2017 after she was shot 12 times outside of her home. Her husband found her body on the street with her hand inside her purse next to her pistol. The mother is now regarded as a heroine in her city where organised crime often goes unchecked. 
An officer who had assisted Miriam in her mission recalled viewing the files of her independent investigation, which he said was like nothing he had ever seen. The details and information gathered by this woman working all alone were incredible, the officer, who chose to remain anonymous, told the New York Times. So there's more to read of that article that you can read for yourself. Our next article, Monday the 14th of December. This is from CNBC. Pfizer's CEO hasn't gotten his COVID vaccine yet, saying he doesn't want to cut the line. Different when it comes to that bailout money being handed out, isn't it? And those government contracts being handed out, or the CEOs always seem to be up for that. Pfizer CEO Albert Berla said, oh, and as we saw earlier, you know, the right to not quarantine and stuff. I'm not saying that this guy hasn't got it. I can't, I don't have the source in front of me, but I would imagine, based on what we were saying earlier, this guy would meet the criteria, would he not? Anyway, side issue. The vaccine, which Pfizer developed in partnership with Germany-based BioNTech, is the first to be authorised for emergency use in the US to prevent COVID-19. Berla's comments came as the first deliveries of doses are set to arrive at more than 100 of the country's 636 predetermined distribution sites. Again, you want to read more of that? Go do so for yourself. I'm going to try and get through as many articles here as possible. Ah, 20th of November 2020, so um, almost a, a month ago now. Well, three weeks ago. One week till Christmas. I don't know what I'm going to be doing, uh, or Bexel's going to be doing around Christmas, so... I might be taking uh, a couple of weeks break or something. Yeah, I don't know. So, yeah. I usually do try and put the Beyond the News out around, um, well, Bexhill obviously does their own thing on Mondays. I think I go out at 10 and 2 these these days. But uh, in terms of uploading them onto the um, platforms like, well, I put them on Anchor FM and then it gets distributed to a number of um, channels, including Spotify. But I do try and get that up around 6pm UK time on Friday. I know I've got a, a few American listeners as well. So yeah, 6pm, I think it's Greenwich Mean Time, isn't it? Or is it British Summer Time? Anyway, UK time. And uh, that goes out Friday, 6pm. I'm trying to get into a habit of doing that now. This is an article from The Telegraph. Government saves £600 million on state pension payments as COVID death surge. Fiscal watchdog increases the estimated number of excess pensioner deaths by 45%. That's by Jessica Beard. The government will save over 600 million in state pension payments this year, following a steep rise in excess deaths among the elderly, according to the budget watchdog. I'm sure that was not on the government's minds whatsoever when they issued those uh, as what the Daily Mail called death squads, not a term I use, but just to bring your memory back to the article that we covered earlier, all those do not resuscitate orders, I'm certain they were all for the benefit of those people. Because as we know, killing people, uh, nothing says I love you like not wanting to revive them uh, from something that they could be revived from. And of course, of course, there are a few people that don't want to be revived, and I, I get that, but people going door to door to go, sign, can you sign this please, we don't want to revive you, has nothing to do with the fact that the government is uh, saving 600 million on state pension payments. I'm sure they all love you dearly. Which brings us on to our next article. This is yesterday, the 17th of December. Jacob Rees-Mogg's under fire for dismissing UNICEF's UK grants as stunts. 
Commons leader criticised over comments about 25,000 pledge in South London. The Tory minister Jacob Rees-Moggs has come under fire for accusing UNICEF of a political stunt after the UN agency stepped in to help feed deprived children in the UK during the COVID-19 pandemic. Yep, they, they do care about us, don't they? Something else here, 13th of December. Gates says next four to six months could be worst of pandemic as vaccine shipments roll out by Jax Brewster for the Forbes staff. With optimism rising that an end to the coronavirus pandemic is in sight as shipments of Pfizer's vaccine begin Sunday, Bill Gates warned in a television interview that the US was far from out of the woods yet and is facing what is likely to be the deadliest period over the winter. It's uh, also usually the most deadliest period of the normal flu as well, isn't it? Just something to uh, bear in mind for that one. Our next article here tonight will be from the FT. I can't remember how much I get to read from the FT. Oh yeah, I wanted to put this in just after um, just after our last article about Mr. Rees-Mogg. Uh, I can only read the headline on this. So again, there's no context there and we, we always know what you think about my opinions of not just reading the headlines but try and read more of it and try and perhaps even get it from a different source. Um, you know, to see what their take of saying the same thing is. Because someone can look at a 50p coin, can't they? Look at any coin, any sort of UK coin. And both of you can be seeing the same coin, but seeing different things. One of you sees heads, one of you sees tails. And sometimes it can, if you get caught up in the argument of saying what you're seeing, you can lose sight of the fact that neither of you is lying. You just are unable to see the other person's perspective. And you get caught up in the arguing and forgetting the fact that you're both right. Rees Mogg's wife's ancestral home benefits from 7.6 million state rescue. That's nice. We're all in it together. Here's, <laughs> again, on the weird science one, I thought I wanted to just do something a little bit, a little bit different here tonight. Uh, this is, this is most, hopefully, a, a little bit of fun. It's an article about a massive kangaroo. So massive kangaroo beats its chest as dogs bark at him in Wallan, Victoria. Victoria in Australia. That's um, under some harsh authoritarian uh, police state control there. I can see Dan Andrews. So maybe the kangaroo was protesting that. But anyway, something a little bit funnier. Stunning moment. A giant buff kangaroo named Bruiser flexes his muscles at a barking dog that should be very happy there's a fence separating the pair. Brave Cavalier was barking at huge kangaroo across fence in Wallan, Victoria. The kangaroo noticed the dog and started beating its chest by way of aggression. Cavalier was unfazed by the power move and continued barking at the roo. Um, but anyway, you can see the video for it yourself. It kind of looks like a kangaroo version of like um, a pro wrestler like a bodybuilder type i mean <laughs> it's a big kangaroo man <laughs> so uh thus concludes our i think it's 23rd episode of beyond the news here do please like our facebook page follow us on parlor if you've got any comments or articles that you think are you worth I was about to say worthy of the show that how, how much delusions are grounded do i have that i think that you think we might 
interesting listening to on the radio show, then please do so. Please continue to listen to all the varieties of Bexit Online and support any of their sponsors, because without them, we don't do the radio, and without the radio, I wouldn't be reaching you on that. Um, but even if the radio went, I'd probably still want to get to the laptop, and now I know how to add podcasts directly to other channels, I'd probably still do it. But I like it here at Bexit Online. They, they Like the article earlier, they... They are respectful of free speech and people's rights to opinions and I think that's a really good attitude towards in life and I think life's all about being around the right people. Hopefully you've enjoyed being around my voice for the last hour.